a friend of mine asked me to say some MC rhyme. So I said this rhyme I'm about to say. The rhyme was there, but then it went this way. Took a test to become an MC. And Orange Cliff became amazed at me. So Larry put me inside.
everybody to the latest edition of the legends of sports and music this is your host the original great rob silver and today we are taking a look at the three-part documentary that was released today on peacock on run d m c directed by kurt frazier it is a look at the the career of in my opinion, the most influential hip-hop group in the history of hip-hop music, the first rock stars, the first uh, hip-hop rock stars, the first mainstream hip-hop group. I mean, they exploded. They exploded. Not unlike the Beatles did in the early to mid-60s. It was that huge a run. And we're going to talk about what the documentary says about their career. This episode, and by the way, the name of the documentary is called Kings from Queens. Kings from Queens, the Run DMC story. It's currently airing on Peacock. Premiere today, three parts. Part one, I like, um, what's that? I like, it's like that. Uh, my second all-time favorite Run DMC so, uh, song. I began the podcast playing my two all-time favorite Run DMC songs, which were their first two singles, Sucker MCs, and it's like that. And we'll talk about the making of those songs and what went behind those songs, as mentioned in the documentary, and my reaction as a 15-year-old hearing these songs for the first time. The documentary uh, begins, of course, with a rundown of what you're about to see. And they show all these hip-hop legends getting ready to talk about Run DMC. Um, Ice Cube, Ice-T, uh, LL Cool J. And LL Cool J was heavily influenced by Run DMC because he grew up in the same neighborhood. Um, out there in Jamaica, Queens, Run-DMC um, run being from Hollis, Queens, and of course, LL Cool J being not too far, 
down on Farmer's Boulevard. <laughs> uh, you have uh, Big Daddy Kane, Grandmaster Kaz, all these hip-hop legends, Dougie Fresh, that I guess we'll talk about the three parts of this documentary. Part one dealt with the formation of Run DMC. Uh, Joseph Simmons, a.k.a. Run, and I'm going to refrain from calling this man any names, even though he belongs in a six-by-six-foot cell, but you know what? You can't tell the story of Run DMC without hearing from the man who, for some God-forsaken reason, has his legs... uh, for in, in yoga formation, what, what's that all about, Russell? Come on, Russell. But anyway, this is about Run DMC. It's not about this that yoga doofus, Russell Simmons. Russell Simmons talks about how yes, he's seven years older than than um Joey, his brother Joey Joseph Simmons, aka Run from Run DMC, and that he was uh producing. And um, promoting clubs all throughout, uh, um, music music through, in clubs throughout New York City. And his partner in crime was uh, another legendary hip-hop uh, artist. But at that point in time, he was just a college student that was going with Joseph Simmons to CCNY. And that was, of course, and for, for, for those of you who do not know... CCNY stands for the City City College of New York. It's in Harlem on 137th Street near Convent Avenue. And it, it's also the site of the infamous December 1991 hip-hop concert in which Puff Daddy Combs, Sean Bitch-Ass, Fuck Him Combs, sold too many tickets. And when they opened the the when they opened the uh, the doors to the concert, a bunch of young kids flooded in there, and several kids were killed, as there was a stampede, and um, Andre Harrell bought Puff Daddy out of danger. Um, I was supposed to go to that show, but I sold my tickets to a coworker because it was the same night that WCW had wrestling. At the Meadowlands, and I, I was a bigger wrestling fan than I was of the artists that were going to perform that night at the concert venue out in a CCNY. I believe Aaron Davis Hall was what my ticket said. Aaron Davis Hall being a, a legendary uh, venue when it comes to New York City colleges, especially CUNY. The City University of New York. Anyway, I digress. Ooh, I got to talk about both Sean Combs and Russell Simmons. Anyway, uh, Russell, while he's sitting in his uh, yoga fetal position, talks about how him and um, Curtis Blow would go around producing and promoting parties throughout the clubs in New York City. And that Curtis Blow was a DJ. At the beginning But these were the early days of hip hop Um, Run talks about um, How he Started hearing hip hop in the late 70s 
they talked about this song by Eddie Chiba. I remember Chiba Chiba, y'all. Uh, he was playing the tape of that, and it caught his it caught his ear. He was like, "Wow!" And um, he wanted to uh, accompany his brother Russell to these parties. So Joey became a DJ, and he learned from his uh, childhood friend Daryl McDaniel's, aka DMC. Um, DMC, uh, Daryl Mack, DMC, had turntables in the attic in, in his house in Hollis, Queens. And Joseph, it was a funny part. DMC uh, recalls this, rec recollects how he's on the turntables and, and run. Joey points to him and said, look, when we get, my, get with my brother and when we get this music uh, thing going, you coming with me. <laughs> That was that was great foresight, great uh, prophetic words by uh, Joseph Simmons. Um, Run says after seeing the turntables that DMC was messing with, he got his own turntables and placed it in the attic of the house that he lived with his with his two brothers. One of them being, of course, Russell and his parents, and he would perfect his craft at DJing. Over and over again. And so he got his break at the age of 15. Joseph Simmons got his break at the age of 15 when Curtis Blow in 1980 exploded with the first rap song that I liked. I wasn't really into, into Chiba Chiba or uh, the, the Sugar Hill Gang's uh, Rapper's Delight. But in 1980, when I was 12 years old, the summer of 1980, there was two massive hits that was played on the urban stations in New York City, primarily WBLS-FM, uh, and then you had Disco 92 KTU, because KISS FM hadn't been formed yet, so BLS and KTU would play the breaks in um, Jimmy Spicer's Super Rhymes. And I love those songs. I love those songs. I couldn't get enough of those songs. I went and I got the uh, the 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 vinyl for both the seventy eight for both songs, and I played it till the needle cracked. I kept fucking the needle up, and my father kept taking my record player to the record shop for the needle to, to be replaced, so I could keep playing those records over and over again. But when Curtis Blow was about to go on tour off that great hit he had in the breaks, Run had broke his uh, arm while playing basketball, and he was unable to go on tour with Curtis Blow. And so Curtis Blow had to get another DJ, and they didn't mention it in the, in, in the documentary, but I believe the DJ's name was AJ because a couple of years later, Curtis Blow came out a came out with a record talking about his uh, DJ AJ hit 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 me AJ hit 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 me. So Run, who wasn't even Run yet, yeah, he was DJ Run. DJ Run had to start from scratch, and then. 
Fast forward a couple years later, 1982. Both men had graduated from high school. Run got a shot at recording a demo at Profile Records through his brother, Russell. And they had a producer named Larry Smith. Larry Smith, a legendary producer that was the begin the very beginning of his career. But Larry Smith had, had done work on the breaks. He did two other records with Jimmy Spicer after Jimmy Spicer's Super Rhymes was a huge hit in the New York City area. He would also produce Jimmy Spicer's next two big hits, The Bubble Bunch and Dollar Bill, y'all. Dollar, dollar, dollar bill, y'all. And Larry Smith was going to produce the demo for Run DMC. Run told Daryl, DMC, you got to go with me. And DMC said at that point in time, yes, he was, he loved hip hop music, what he had heard so far. And he loved playing with his turntables and he wrote a lot of rhymes. But he didn't think he was ready to do that. He, he, he said earlier in part one that the, his first love was comic books and that hip-hop was the closest thing to comic books. It was these real-life superheroes on the mic. DMC wasn't sure, so he went with Run to the studio. Run did his verse on Sucker MCs and... We'll talk about the impact that song had in New York City and it had on a 15-year-old OG Rob Silver. And this is the original great Rob Silver. If I didn't introduce myself at the beginning of the podcast, that's who's talking, the host of the Legends of Sports and Music. So, Run does his verse and he tears it up. Russell says, yeah, he tears it up. And then he tells DMC, it's your turn. DMC's like, it's 11 o'clock at night. My parents are going to kill me. I've broken curfew. Run was like, get your rhyme, but go in there and start rhyming. And this is why I always talk about how the autobiographical songs are the best songs. DMC, I wrote a verse about him attending St. John's University. Daryl Mack was an A student at Rice High School, Catholic High School in New York City. The same high school that the legendary New York City high school ball player Felipe Lopez starred for years there in the early 90s. I go to St. John's University. I quite, <laughs> I'm light skinned. You know, he tears it up. And Larry Smith puts it together with his drum, with his drum beats, with his sample drum beats. And when the song comes out in the summer of 1983, they talked about how Mr. Magic, the legendary black Puerto Rican God, there needs to be a documentary on Mr. Magic. All right. We need a documentary on Mr. Magic. We've had one on Ralph McDaniels. Of course, you got this Run DMC documentary. We need a documentary on the black Puerto Rican legend radio, the most influential radio Hip-hop disc jockey of all time, John Rivas, better known as Mr. Magic. Mr. Magic played it on a Friday night. Chuck D on his Long Island College radio station, um, Hop, was it Hofstra or was it Hofstra he was going to? 
I think he was going to Hofstra at the time. Anyway, WBAU was the name of the radio station that Chuck D was playing records on, hip-hop records. And the next night he played Sucker MCs. And when the first time I heard, and I believe it was the, set, the, the Friday night in the summer of 83 that I first heard this song when Mr. Magic played it on WBLS and I lost my fucking mind. I couldn't get enough of that song. Soon as I was able to, I recorded it off the radio onto my tape, radio tape player. And DMC talked in the documentary how at that time people were walking around with radio, with radio tape players. And they got bigger and bigger to the point where you saw the formation of the boom box. And that's, of course, the creation of Boom Bap. Run DMC with the original Boom Bappers. You know, Hopefully they bring that up in the documentary later on. You know, in the 1990s, it's known for the boom bap era with Biggie and et cetera, right? Boom bap originated with Larry Smith and Run DMC. Sucker MCs is the original boom bap uh, song. Listen to the drum beats. That song, and it's like that, are played on constant rotation on both WBLS and KISS FM. I loved It's Like That. It was a political song. They didn't go into it much in the documentary, but I love that song. Love that song. It's like that. And that's the way it is. Who? Then they talk about incorporating rock in to their hip-hop beats. DMC talks about using a Billy, Billy Squire sample for Here You Go, Here We Go. And then, of course, Rock Box. Rock Box exploded. They talked about being the first rappers to appear on MTV. When Run DMC finally got onto MTV in 1984... They weren't the second black act. You know, They these guys make it sound like they were. No, Michael Jackson and Prince had appeared on um, MTV before Run DMC, but Run DMC was the first black hip-hop act to appear on MTV. They also talked about how after they made Sucker MCs, they needed a disc jock. They needed a, they needed a DJ. You had Run DMC, but they needed a DJ to tour with them, to play the clubs. And they decided to go with this guy named Darnell Smith. But they said Darnell Smith got a job with the post office, and so he turned down their role because he had a steady job with the post office. They interviewed Darnell Smith in a documentary, and Darnell said, no, no, he, uh, he got a job in Texas. So he moved to Texas. But I got to give Darnell Smith credit. He didn't sound bitter. He said, you know what? As good as a, as a DJ that I was, the guy who got the gig, Jam Master J, Jason Mazzell, much better than me. Was a much better DJ than me. And they talked about Jam Master J joining the group and how Jam Master J brought style to run DMC because before... Uh, Jason Mizell, a.k.a. Jam Master J, joined the group. Run DMC looked like a couple of nerds with plaid uh, jackets on stage. Then, 
Chan Master J with the gold chain. The Adidas jumpsuit. The Adidas sneakers without the laces. Larry Smith went to go pick up Jam Master J to take him and run DMC to a show. Run DMC and we're in the back seat. When they got to Jam Master J's house, Jam Master J came out. He was wearing the Adidas jacket with 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 with, uh, with, with jeans and the Adidas sneakers and uh, a, a polo hat. Larry Smith said, "Yeah, that's your attire. You guys all got to dress like that." And the Run DMC iconic look was born. We're going to play Rockbox and it's tricky because part two of the documentary series, we, we did part one, episode one, episode two of the Kings from Queens three-part documentary is titled it's tricky. So we're going to play Rockbox. It's tricky. And we're going to come back and talk about part two titled It's Tricky after we play these iconic Run DMC songs.
Recital. I think it's very vital to rock around. That's right. On top. It's tricky. Tricky, 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 it's tricky to rock around, to rock around, that's right, on time is tricky. 
Man, part two is one of the greatest hour documentaries of anything involving hip-hop I've ever seen. Talk about explosive. Um, that one hour went by so fast, and there's so much to unpack. Wow. It began, part two of the documentary, it's tricky, and it's the perfect title. It's tricky was a big hit, of course, for Run DMC, but it's the perfect title for the second part, which is the crescendo of this three parts. I don't know how part three can be better than part two, but it, it's apropos that the title of part two, it's, it's tricky. Because as part two continued, the wire act that Run DMC had to play between their hardcore audience and the mainstream audience, it became very tricky. And in the end of part two, you saw a shift in hip-hop. And we'll get to it. We'll get to it. First and foremost, let's begin with the beginning of part two. They're on American Bandstand. And I believe, yes, this is 1985. And when you're an act especially a black act, whether it's rock or hip-hop or country or soul, R&B, you get to American Bandstand, you've quote-unquote made it to mainstream America and made it to the mainstream appeal of white America. We see the transition of Run DMC Part 2 shows the pinnacle of Run DMC's career when they become the Beatles of hip-hop. And you look at the acts that came after them, all under the Rush management slash Def Jam roster. Now, ladies and gentlemen, a mistake is always made. No, Run DMC were never a Def Jam act during, their pin the, during the uh, height of their career. They were on an independent label called Profile Records. They were Profile Records' biggest act. They were managed by Joseph's brother, Russell Simmons, under Rush management while having their record deal at Profile Records. But, on, but at Def Jam, the artists that followed them that became massive superstars, LL Cool J, who a lot of people consider the Elvis of hip-hop, years before Eminem was considered the Elvis of hip hip-hop. I called him the Michael Jackson of hip-hop, all right? He was the king. And, of course, uh, the Beastie Boys, they were like the Rolling Stones of hip-hop. Years later, the real uh, Elvis of hip-hop would appear, and he's on this documentary throughout talking about the influence of Run DMC on him being a hip-hop fan, then later on becoming a legendary rapper. And of, of course, that's uh, Marshall Elvis Mathers. Uh, 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 Marshall Mathers? Is that what we call that motherfucker? Anyway, um, I'm going to try to be nice. But throughout this entire second part of the documentary, the It's Tricky segment of the three parts, you see... I don't want to call them white interlopers, but you see a heavy white slash Jewish 
influence on the careers of Run DMC. They talk about Rick, they bring in Rick Rubin to help them produce Raising Hell, which was their biggest album, went triple platinum. Rick Rubin met uh, Russell Simmons, and they made a, a they they uh, they met at uh, Rick Rubin's uh, dorm room, I believe NYU, um, and of of course, Run DMC becomes real mainstream when they play Live Aid. They show them at Live Aid. Now, they were the only hip hop group at Live Aid. I and. The last podcast I did was on the Netflix special, The Greatest Night in Pop, which was We Are the World, the forerunner to Live Aid, USA for Africa. If you haven't listened to that uh, podcast, if you haven't watched the documentary, do both. Watch the Netflix Greatest Night in Pop documentary, then listen to my review of that documentary on whatever platform you're listening to The Legends of Sports and Music. It's the last podcast I did. Run DMC played Live Aid and at Philadelphia. You don't get no bigger than that because that night it was a who's who of legendary performers that played that night. You name him, he was there that night, except for Prince. Uh, Prince didn't, just like he didn't do We Are The World, he didn't show up for the We Are The World uh, studio session, he didn't show up for the uh, Live Aid, but he did send a copy of For The Tears in his eyes <laughs> and they played it during the broadcast on satellite and on throughout the stations that played we are the world throughout the world so run dmc plays live aid at philadelphia then run talks about meeting michael jackson michael jackson wanted to do a rap record so michael jackson had run dmc show up and run dmc talks about how I mean, Run DMC, Joseph, Joseph Simmons talks about how Michael was with Bubbles the Chimp. He was feeding Bubbles the Chimp. And Run asked Michael, how does it feel to be famous? And Michael says, very, very thankful. I'm very, very thankful. But uh, Michael never went ahead with that uh, rap record <laughs> that he was considering to do because he had become fans of Run DMC. And then uh, Rick Rubin helped promote this incredible album, Raising Hell, which was the first multi-platinum hip-hop album. It sold, it went triple platinum. And another uh, interloper was introduced to the group. There's a theme throughout this uh, second part. It's tricky. You had Rick Rubin, but got to give Rick Rubin credit because Rick Rubin was instrumental not only in Run DMC having the biggest album they ever had, the pinnacle of their career, but he was also the architect behind LL Cool J's debut album. Now, and Rick Rubin also helped get the movie Crush Groove, which was... Loosely based on Russell Simmons, Russell Simmons, Rick Rubin, and C Curtis Blow, and Run DMC's 
breakthrough in hip hop with the beautiful Sheila E as the as a <laughs> Russell Simmons love interest and the guy who played Russell Simmons Blair Underwood that was a breakthrough for his career um and so now they start and they run DMC starting their own movie Crush Groove they would they would have stars alongside Blair Underwood and Sheila E and then 1986 Raising Hell is released but it's also released around the same time as LL Cool J's debut album. Radio. And now, as DMC talks about in part two of this documentary, Run, who at that point in time was considered the king of hip-hop, saw a huge force looking to take his crown in LL Cool J and to be honest with you ladies and gentlemen this was me my senior year in high school LL quickly took this crown even while Raising Hell was doing major numbers in 1986 the king of New York was LL Cool J the king of hip hop had become LL Cool J in his rookie year in his rookie year and this was right before Rakim would show up on the scene and in my opinion, take that king of hip-hop away from LL with the hardcore hip-hop fans, but not with the mainstream audience. LL Cool J was this good-looking, muscular, charismatic brother who had this way of rhyming that no one had ever heard before. Even though it was heavily influenced by Run DMC, you could hear it in, you could hear it in radio and I Need a Beat. You hear that, that, that hardcore Jamaica Queens way of rapping and not hardcore in the lyrics because LL like Run DMC was a positive rapper more on that later on in this segment we also are introduced to how this piece of shit was introduced to Run DMC in a guy by the name of you know him as Lear Cohen I call him Liar Cohen fuck Liar Cohen Cohen one of the biggest thieves in the history of music. Fuck him, all right? And fuck Russell Simmons for allowing this guy to come in and become a damn near billionaire by ripping off black acts from both Def Jam and Rush Management. Fuck Liar Cohen. Liar Cohen is hired to be Run DMC's road manager, and eventually Liar Cohen becomes the president of Def Jam Records, not... Rick Rubin, Rick Rubin went on to start Deaf American Records. Now, Run DM, Rick Rubin, when it looked like Raising Hell had been finished, said, "No, we're missing one more. We're missing one more song. We need that major crossover song." Even though that album was full of crossover songs. Raise of the first three Run DMC albums, I'll be honest with you, because I had all three as a, as a teenager. The first one came out when I was 16. The second one came out when I was 17. The third one came out right around my 18th birthday. 84, 85, 86. Raising Hell was my least favorite of the three. The only song on Raising Hell that I fucking adore and it's one of my all-time favorite Run DMC songs, and I'm going to play it. I'm gonna play it on this on this podcast. I'm gonna play it at the very end of the of the podcast, and that's 
I'm proud to be black. To me, that was the only authentic black song on Raising Hell. The rest, you know, uh, you be ill and I hate that song. You be, you be ill and it's, oh, I hate that song. And of course, the major hit, the hit that made it a triple platinum album was the song they did with Aerosmith, Walk This Way, which was a massive hit. And kudos to Adam of the Beastie Boys, Adam Hovitz. He said, contrary to popular belief, that record resurrected Aerosmith's career. It didn't make run DMC's career. Matter of fact, and I got to give the devil his due. Uh, that piece of shit, Russell Simmons, has been tremendous so far, and he was phenomenal in part two of this documentary, as he should be. He was the architect of Run DMC. He, he was there. He was their manager. He was there since day one. He's Joseph's older brother. He's Run's older brother. He said that "Walk This Way" while it gave them their biggest mainstream hit, and it made them. Beatles-like in their popularity around the world, it did more damage than good. And it did. It did more damage than good. Because the hardcore hip-hop audience, the black audience, myself included, looked at Run DMC. And I'll be honest with you, I looked at them as a sellout. I looked at them as a sellout. I didn't think they needed Aerosmith, and it's crazy. The decline of Run DMC began after they had their biggest hit, Walk This Way, and Aerosmith became legendary rock and rollers who still tour around the world in this country doing stadiums while uh, Run DMC does great business overseas, but no business here in the United States. Sad, sad. That record did much more for Aerosmith, like the Beastie Boys said. And did more damage to Run DMC, like Russell Simmons said. And it really showed at the end of part two, when at the height of their career, Run DMC took the Fresh Fest concert in which they toured with Houdini to Long Beach, California. The opening act was a young, hungry group led by that piece of shit Dr. Dre and the legendary Ice Cube, N.W.A. And during that concert, N.W.A. was in Long Beach. It's in their backyard. Of course, the fans are going to come out, but gang members came out, and a bloody riot occurred before Run DMC could even get to the stage. People were getting shot and stabbed, and they had to cancel their set. And Run DMC was looked at nationwide as having uh, done this concert where people died, where young people were killed. And I remember when that happened, I was like, God damn, but Run DMC's not about that. They never were about uh, negative stereotypes about killing. And Russell Simmons once again made a great point. He said, Run DMC, and LL Cool J said something just as, uh, just as important. But first, Russell said the difference between 
Run DMC and a group like NWA. Run DMC raps about looking down on the criminal element, trying to better yourself. They're, they're rhyming about educating themselves, reading, fundamentals, the whole nine. Proud to be black. While a group like NWA was portraying in their music what was going on in the streets of Los Angeles, streets of Compton, streets of Long Beach, Inglewood, etc. The violence and the drug dealing and the drug using. And so now you see a shift about to begin. And I'm not sure if part three is going to talk about that shift more in detail. They interviewed Ice-T and Ice Cube, and both Ice-T and Ice Cube talked about how they loved Run DMC. Ice-T wanted to rhyme like Run DMC, but his friends said, nah, 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 don't, don't rap about that shit. Rap, 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 rap about those uh, criminal tales, because uh, at one time Ice-T was a pimp back, back in the day. So rap about that. Don't rap about what they rap about. Rap about what you, what you've been writing about, what's going on in 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 your set. Ice Cube never was into any illegal gang activity, but as one of the great lyrical writers, lyricists that ever lived, growing up in South Central, growing up in Compton, he saw this every day, sitting in his stoop. Because his parents made sure his parents were like Run's parents and DMC's parents. They made sure to keep their son close. But while Ice Cube was on the porch, he would write about what he was seeing or what his friends were telling them they were going through. As the main lyricist for NWA, it was Ice Cube's words that uh, woke up a nation to the hell that black people were going through in Los Angeles. We see a seismic shift. I'm gonna play a couple of more songs. What am I playing now? I'm playing, um, what am I playing now? I'm gonna play, uh, not, okay. The first two songs I played were uh, Sucker MCs and It's Like That. Then I played Rock Box and It's Tricky. Now I'm gonna play King of Rock. I'm going to play King of Rock, and I'm going to play another song. I'm not sure what the other song is. And then we're going to come back and talk about the third and final part of the three-part documentary. We, you know, we three, Three-part documentary at one hour each. Enjoy the music. I'll be back to talk about the third and final part of the Kings from Queens, the Run DMC story. I'm the king of rock, there is none higher Sucker MCs should call me sire To burn my kingdom, you must choose fire I won't stop rocking till I retire Now we rock the party, and jump correct All cuts are on time, and rhymes connect Got the right to vote, and we'll elect And other rappers can't stand us, but give us respect
I'm going to tread lightly when talking about Jam Master Jay later on in the podcast and the murder, his, the murder that took his life at the age of 37. I'm going to tread lightly. All right, I'm going to give the man and his family the utmost respect and not talk about talk about why the murder probably occurred, probably happened and just talk about the greatness of a man and the greatness that his wife and his son mentioned about him but before we get to his unfortunate murder part 3 of the podcast and um part 3 is called down with the king by the way, kudos to Mr. Frazier. He did a phenomenal job directing this documentary. This is a great documentary. I put this on the same level as the Bismarck documentary that came out last summer on Showtime. Another documentary that I reviewed. You could check the archives. I, I reviewed that documentary. And so I'm reviewing uh, this documentary. Uh, Peacock knocked, knocked it out the park. Mr. Frazier knocked it out the park with this incredible documentary on the Kings from Queens run DMC. But part three, Down With The King, begins with um, the Fall From Grace by Run DMC. Um, and a couple of great quotes that we heard at the beginning of part three, Down With The King. What did the legendary Big Daddy Kane said? Big Daddy Kane said that an artist has to understand that the sound changes, the music changes, and you have to be able to adjust to changes without changing your, st I mean, who you are, the fabric of who you are. And what did Ice T said? Ice T said that, you know, most rappers have a window have a small window it's the reason why you have the word hip and hip-hop it's whatever's hip at that point in time so even the greatest mcs have a small window and run dmc's window seemed to have closed in 1990 they did and big daddy kane was the perfect guy to talk about uh that being something you're not when you're ch when when the music has changed, the style of music has changed, because Big Daddy Kane did that to himself and destroyed his career. He went from being this smooth lyricist with the great wordplay to becoming a uh, uh, a a sexual chocolate rapper, a rapper talking about just women and all. And it, while he was a ladies' man, he overdid it. And his album flopped and his career died. I mean, recently he's come back and he's done some great tours. Um, at, at, as far as, as a performer, but as far as an artist selling records, his career died 30 years ago when he became overly sexual. No longer was it the playful Big Daddy Kane who would give you a political rhyme here since he was a member of the Nation of Islam or a, 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 a nice story here about hanging with women and being a ladies' man. No, he became overly sexual. So he was the perfect guy to mention about you could switch up, 
but you shouldn't lose the essence of what you are. You shouldn't be what you're not. And Run DMC, when the album came out in 1990, DMC talked about this. The record company forced them to become a new Jack Swing hip-hop group, which they weren't. They were. They were. They had rock-oriented beats, not this nonsense that, uh, well, New Jack Swing is my favorite genre of all time, but it's nonsense for a group like Run DMC who never dealt with R&B soul beats to try and rap to New Jack Swing beats, Teddy Rally beats. It doesn't make sense. And it flopped. Then their career res was resurrected in 1993. Shout out to the great Grap Lover. His brother Pete Rock was phenomenal in this documentary. Pete Rock mentioned how he grew up idolizing Run DMC and he produced Run DMC's last massive hit, Down With The King, which will be the... I'll be finishing this podcast with two songs. Down With The King first and then I'm Proud To Be Black. Right. Um... Pete Rock talked about working with, with with the dudes, and it was, you know, at that point in time, and Pete Rock is on my, and Grab knows this, is on my Mount Rushmore of hip-hop producers. If you, if you put a gun to my head, it's either Pete Rock or DJ Premier, in my opinion, that's number one all time. It, it changes with the, when with, with each day goes, but I won't argue you say one or the other is the greatest hip-hop producer of all time. Pete Rock was perfect. Uh, Pete Rock was going through a string of great hit after great hit with artists other than his boy CL Smooth, the group that he was with at the time. So it was great to see. I remember I was 25 years old with Down with when Down with the King came out. And I was like, man, maybe Run DMC could have that third or that second, um, uh, their second win, like in, in, in a fight, in a boxing match. Maybe it's their second win. But no, that was the final curtain call for their career as far as mainstream rappers, as far as high-profiled, selling records, selling a lot of records, MCs. But that record alone helped them tour for the next four years, and DMC talked about that. Then we find out, right, that run talks about Down With The King being a biblical song and it was the beginning of him transitioning from DJ Run, from MC Run to Reverend Run. And by 1996, he was an ordained minister. Jam Master J became a record executive, JMJ Records, and he became a, a great producer as seen with Onyx. Onyx, around the same time Down With The King came out, Onyx came out with their album Back the Fuck Up with their massive hit Slam. And they talked to Fragile Star, another Southside Jamaica legend. Then something happened during that four year window where they were making a ton of money. I DMC said they were making two hundred to three hundred thousand dollars per tour. He was making a lot of much more than the eighties when they were on top making fifty to eighty thousand. Making two hundred to three hundred thousand a tour, but out of nowhere he lost his voice. And I remember, over before Jam Master J died, there was a Run DMC, uh, what you call that, uh, behind the music, 
on MTV. I hope they bring that back. Behind the Music, which um, today on TV One, you've got Unsung, which is the sole black version of Behind the Music. But in Behind the Music, run DMC, DMC talked about losing his voice. And at that time, he sounded more like... He wasn't sounding like the hard, the hard DMC. Uh, I go St. John's, you know. Instead, he started. He, he sounded like Cowboy DMC. Thank God I'm a country boy. <laughs> his voice totally changed, and I always wondered how did he get his voice back? How did he get his old voice back? And I find out through this documentary that we learned that his condition was psychosomatic. It was mental. He was going through. Life changes. He was going through a midlife crisis. He, you know, the brothers were born in 64 and 65. So in 1996, 1997, midlife crisis, they're in their early 30s. They're in their early 30s. Not midlife crisis, but uh, DMC began drinking. You know, it's crazy. I was born in 68, and these guys are only a few years older than me. I'll be 56 this year, both DMC and Run. Both Joseph Simmons and Daryl McDaniel will be 60 years old this year. And had Jam Master Jay lived, he'd be 59 because he was born in 65. It's crazy. So that means in 1983, when Sucker MCs came out, DMC had just turned 19 because remember, he graduated from high school in 82, Rice High School. And Joseph Simmons run was 18, he hadn't turned 19 yet. He would have turned 19 in the fall of 1963, uh, of 1983, because he was born in the fall of 1964. So they were teenage stars, just like LL Cool J was a teenage star back in the day. Um, they were very young with the world, with the world at the palm of their hands. So DMC, Talks about his drug drug abuse, his alcohol abuse, and how uh, he lost his voice. And that he was trying to get his way back when the worst thing that could have happened to that group happened. Jason Mazel, Jam Master Jam, the night of October 30th, 2002. And I remember like it was... Yesterday, because when I heard the news that night, I was in shock. At the age of 37, Jason Mizell, the last person you would have thought in hip hop to get to get gunned down in his studio in Jamaica, Queens. Mrs. Mizell, Jason's wife, was phenomenal in this documentary with her recalling that night. And she kept it together. She kept it together. Until the end when she started crying, but she kept it together. Um, his son, Jason Jr., and his other son, TJ, talked about how great of a father he was. His wife talked about how great of a husband, how great of a... And that when he would come home from the road, that he would spend as much time as possible with the family. That was his downtime. That was his way of relaxing. Whatever... The situation was that caused Jason, Jam Master Jay, to be murdered. I don't believe his wife and children knew about it. 
and I'm going to leave it at that. There's a police investigation going on right now. Three men have been indicted. I'm keeping my fingers crossed that those three men go to jail for a murder that was committed now 21, over 21 years ago. But once again, out of respect to Mrs. Mizell and Jason's sons, Jason Jr. and TJ, I'm not going to speak about why, the, what the evidence leads to why Jason was murdered. You guys, go Google it. This is about honoring Run DMC and about honoring Jason Mizell. I'm not going to, uh, the man was a great man. He was a great man, period. And it's heartbreaking to see a 37-year-old man who at that point in time was managing the biggest MC in the country in 50 Cent. 50 Cent had just come out with his massive Get Rich or Die Trying album. And things were looking on the up and up for uh, Jason Mizell, Jam Master J, and a, mo uh, a mother lost her husband. And two boys, two young boys lost their father. And it was heartbreaking. When, when that occurred. Um, after that, DMC talked about how, you know, he just wanted to die. He just wanted to die. He talked about uh, right before, uh, right before um, Jay had been murdered, they were in Switzerland, and he got up on the roof, and he w was going to jump, and then he heard a voice tell him, T, T, you can't do that. Your, your, your job's not finished here. And then DMC talks about he came back from an overseas trip and he was in uh, a cab and, you know, he's all fucked up. Well, I don't know whether it was cocaine or alcohol, he's nodding off and the cab driver turns around and tells DMC, Daryl, that at one point in his life, when he was young, when he was a young boy, he wanted to give up on life, but that the Raising Hell album, he played over and over again. It gave him purpose, and it saved his life. At that moment, DMC said, I'll give you an autograph, I'll take a picture of you. They turned on the radio, Light FM. Now, they put 92.3 on, on the screen, but... Light FM is not 92.3. Light FM is 106.7 in New York. Right? They play nothing but love songs and, and, and um, beautiful melodies. And while he said, this DMC who's having suicidal thoughts, he, he lost one of his best friends, his brother, and Jason Mizell, Jam Master J, and he hears the song Angel by Sarah McLaughlin. And the same effect that his album that his songs from Raising Hell gave the cab driver when that cab driver was a little boy was, a, was the same effect that Daryl was having listening to Angel because he said ain't that song was talking about him. And he played that song over and over again. Then he said later on, not too long after, he went to a Clive Davis uh, Grammy Awards party. He saw Sarah McLaughlin there. He leaped to her and he told her exactly. He, he rambled off. What went through her, and what did uh, Sarah say? Let me make sure I quote her right. Um, 
Music is supposed to heal. That's what music's supposed to do. And it's a beautiful story. And eventually he got his voice back. And what DMC did, what Daryl McDaniel did, was his first love was comic books. He went back to drawing. And he created his own comic book company. And a few years ago, they showed during the pandemic when he went to Comic-Con. And his son, Daryl Jr., talked about, oh, he's a nerd just like me. I didn't know. It was beautiful to hear his son talk about his father like that. And personal note, even though my son was born in 92, years after the height of Run DMC, he loved Run DMC's music. He used to play my old. He used to play my old cassettes and CDs of Run DMC. Bought the Run DMC T-shirt, and unfortunately, two years ago this past March, my son passed away. But if my son was alive, he definitely because he had a massive comic book collection that I have in my bedroom inside of a bin that I will eventually give to my, there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, pristine collectible comic books of X-Men, Spider-Man, Superman, etc. Had my son still been alive today, I could definitely see him buy DMC comic books because he loved Run DMC as one of them old school hip hop groups along with the Fat Boys that he, that he used to love to listen to as a, adolescent as a teenage boy um at the funeral run makes the announcement as they show in the documentary that run dmc has retired that they no longer are a group because jam master j had died and everybody that uh was commentating chuck d salt dougie fresh they all mentioned how jam master j even Russell Simmons, Jam Master J was the glue that held Run DMC together. He was the heart and soul of the group. And without him, they the heart was ripped out. And you could tell by Run saying that Run DMC is no longer going to perform together. They've retired. The heart was gone. So it, the hunger was no longer there. The desire was no longer there. But they made one triumphant return to performing last August at the 50th anniversary hip-hop concert at Yankee Stadium. Run and Daryl, Joseph and Daryl, went on stage and they performed a medley of their hits while several thousand fans held up Adidas sneakers in the audience. It was a come full circle moment. And I always talk on this podcast about things coming full circle. Beautiful way to end that three-part documentary. Once again, kudos to Kirk Frazier. Mr. Frazier did a phenomenal job. Kudos to all the commentators. I particularly loved Mrs. Mizell. I mean, she brought, she really spoke on Jay's behalf because the one thing missing from this documentary was Jay's input. You know, you, you know... Running, running, Daryl, Joseph and Daryl are still alive. Russell Simmons, even in Bali, is still alive as he's uh, avoiding the American authorities. But they're there to speak about the formation 
of Run DMC. Mrs. Mizell, Jason's wife, was able to speak on his behalf to the character of the man and to why he was a great man. And of course, all the other commentators, Chuck D, Ed Lover, uh, Salt, fuck Angie Martinez, take her the fuck out of there. They didn't need her in this fucking documentary. But anyway, all uh, Dougie Fresh, all these great hip-hop legends that uh, Big Daddy Kane, Grandmaster Kaz, talked about the greatness of Jason Mizell as a man and as the heart and soul of Run DMC. If you have not seen this documentary, if you listen to this re review, go watch the documentary. It's on Peacock. Three parts, and they're all quick. Each part is an hour or less. You run through it real quick, and you, you, you will sit there intently, and you may want to watch it a second or third time. I put it on the same level as the Bismarck E documentary from, me, from last August, and it's just as good as the greatest night of pop that just aired on Netflix. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed this review. We'll be back in a few days with my part one historical tribute to Usher. As you know, Usher's performing at the Super Bowl halftime show. He's the Super Bowl halftime show that will occur. What day will that occur? February uh, February 11th, the Super Bowl. Usher is the uh, performer. So February 6th or February 7th, I'll be coming out with my Usher Part 1 tribute podcast as I look at 13 or 14 of his greatest ballads. So until next time, when we talk Usher and his incredible love songs, I want everybody out there to always... Be blessed, be a blessing, and enjoy the last two songs I play in tribute of Run DMC and the late, great Jam Master J. You know I'm proud to be black, y'all, and that's a fact, y'all. And if the trash was mine, I'd take it back, y'all. It's like that.
beef, I ain't feeling no hate. We're in a tight position in any condition. Don't get in my way, cause I'm full of ambition. I'm proud to be black. And I ain't taking no crap. I'm fresh at the back. And I'm proud to be black. So take that. Rhyme, so I said this rhyme I'm about to say The rhyme was Mecca and then it went this way Recollect a Mecca mic check on a windmill skill Map the steps wearing Godfather hats It's okay to parlay the forte better Tell her my nigga need a sweater tougher than leather Swing another Rodney King thing and I wreck But just like the white one I get no respect Money stay awake cause the other niggas are fake From Hollis to the beacon know your dumb ass is leaking CL and one DMC so rush it Big time way before hammer got to touch it Remember the faces in all types of places Look ma no shoelaces And I'm Just from these pages to the universe. My voice is raw. My 
hardcore like you never saw you wanna be. You wanna be. Now all the yada yada flock is on now with the game. 